0: Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com.
1: Hi, I'm Dr. Amy Robbins, and welcome to Life, Death, and the Space Between podcast. I'm a licensed clinical psychologist and medium, and here we explore life, death, consciousness, and what it all means. Today I have another episode of something I have never covered before, so I'm really, really excited to talk about this topic. Over the past 20 years, Father Nathan, Nathan G. Castle, OP, says he has helped at least 250 people who have died suddenly adjust to the afterlife. These victims of fires, automobile accidents, shootings, stabbings, and drownings came to him in dreams seeking help for resolving their interrupted death experiences. And although such contact with the other side was not something he sought out, Father Nathan has come to believe that providing such help is something the Holy Spirit has given him to do. His books, Afterlife Interrupted and Afterlife Interrupted 2 are both available now. Welcome, Father Nathan.
2: Great to be with you. Thanks for having me.
1: Thank you so much for everybody who has supported the podcast. So there's so many ways you can support the podcast and the work that I'm doing. One, you can spread the word. This podcast has grown completely. Organically. It is all because of you all sharing the podcast. And we are coming up on a million downloads, which is amazing. Other ways that you can support the podcast is through Patreon. So if you would like to become a patron, You can go to Patreon, put in Dr. Amy Robbins. You can find different tiers to support the podcast at the $5, $10, or $20 level or any other denomination. My $20 supporters do get once quarterly Zoom calls with me. They've been fabulous. If you benefit from the podcast, if your life has shifted or changed as a result of the podcast, please help me continue to help you have on these great guests. Also, follow me on Instagram, Dr. Amy Robbins. I love hearing from my listeners. And lastly, rate, review, and subscribe. Thank you all for all of your support, for all of your love, for all of your helping to collectively raise the consciousness of this planet. I am so incredibly grateful. So, this topic is fascinating to me. And I think some people, for so many people, this is something that they fear very deeply is that they are going to get stuck. I'm using that word in quotes or what you call an IDE, an interrupted death experience. Can you tell us or help us explain what that means and how it occurs?
2: Back in college, I'm 66 years old, but when I was in college, I read Raymond Moody's Life After Life. And he, of course, did the the listening work and the sociological work of bringing together stories, and he invented the phrase, the near-death experience, NDE, <laughs> that many people are familiar with. People have going out of body, perhaps to some a heart attack or a, you know something going wrong in a surgery or whatever, some, uh, some event that made their consciousness separate from the body, spend time outside of the body having experiences that often involved a sense of going through a tunnel or down a road, maybe meeting deceased loved ones or religious figures, having some sort of conversation. And because they didn't exactly, they didn't finish dying, they nearly died, but there's some point at which they're told to go back, it's not your time. I think a lot of your listeners are probably familiar with that um, Mm -hmm. narrative. I wanted the the interrupted death experience to kind of sit next to that because the experiences that happened to me are uh, people come in a dream and show me how they died violently. Mm. So a lot of car crashes in the intro, the intro that you just did, shooting, stabbing, drowning, falls, any ways that people can, uh, they're not very many of mine are natural events, like heart attacks, they're mostly unnatural ones, traumas. Gotcha. Uh, they come and they they show me a little video-like thing in a dream, a little narrative. They do a nice job of not terrifying me, you know, I'm not waking up screaming.
1: <laughs> yeah, I would imagine that would be difficult to see.
2: Well, they, they mostly buffer it, you know, They and I, they're coached that way. They're told now that this is a nice man. Don't <laughs> disturb him too much. Just tell him what you need to with not too much gore. Then I, I write the dream down as I received it. I, I pray to them briefly and just say, I think I got what you tried to send me. Very soon I'll get with some prayer partners and we'll see what we can do to help you. I have regular prayer partners with whom I meet, some in person, and because of the pandemic, a lot of them have been on Zoom. We go into prayer and I'm very conscious of protecting myself and my prayer partners. I don't Mm -hmm. pick pick up hitchhikers here or hereafter. I don't think it's necessarily safe to allow any spirit in. And so there's some protective prayer involving Michael the Archangel. And I'm a Catholic Christian. I go to uh, Mary, mother of Jesus, a number of the the Christian uh, saints. uh, Anyway, beings of light that surround us to keep us safe. We quietly read the story uh, that was received in a dream a couple of times, and then I can allow them to speak through me. Mm. Uh, that common parlance for that would be channeling, mm-hmm. although in my church that's a radioactive word, and so I don't refer to myself. Uh, you refer to yourself as a medium. That's another one that in my church can be all uh, can be upsetting to folks. Mm-hmm. So I use the Judeo-Christian tradition of prophecy. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. You're from the Jewish faith, aren't you?
1: Correct, yes. Um,
2: Well, you know, the prophets like Isaiah, when you read from the prophet Isaiah at public worship, the first part of it might be narrative. The prophet Isaiah went from this town to that town doing this or that. Then he might speak in his own voice Mm -hmm. to someone. And then at some point, he might allow the voice of God to move through him. So when I teach lectors how to read that you have to do it in three different voices like you would read the three little pigs or mm-hmm. <laughs> little red riding hood or something you don't use the same voice all the time. Well anyway, I allow the voice of the my voice to be borrowed by the person who needs to tell their story. Uh, I'm co-conscious with them alert the whole time, free to stop if I please and I just let them talk. They don't come to us until they're ready to move from one plane in the afterlife to the next. They've kind of finished a therapeutic process. Mm -hmm. They don't need to be at this level anymore because it's designed for healing. And they've healed to the point that they're now ready to kind of take on the adventure of the afterlife.
1: So they come to you when they have done, like, how do you explain it? Because I've heard when I've spoken with people who have either had near-death experiences or just people who've researched this work, it's like they have their life review. And then we don't necessarily know what happens after that because some people who have their life review return and can report on it. And those that don't return, obviously don't return through near death experiences. So they keep going. Right. So for these folks that got um, stuck, do they have their life review? Are they waiting for that? Are there some sort of when you talk about healing, what kind of healing are you referring to? Is it healing of like the trauma of being quickly snapped out of your body?
2: Yeah, that and that can have a lot of different components to it. You you know, oftentimes people who die in a trauma die with other people in the same trauma, a plane crash that kills a lot of people or these mass shootings and stuff. But that doesn't mean that everybody experiences it the same way mm-hmm. because we're all so different.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: and we have different, you know, we're different parts of our life. Sometimes people will be in a trauma loop where mm-hmm. uh, they will focus on uh, some very frightening thing. Sometimes people that are in rollover car accidents that take their life end up rolling and
4: mm. looping
2: in that for a while. They're not punished. They just need to learn how to move out of that recurring thought loop. People do that in this life. It's not just about dying. Mm You must know somebody that has a persistent thought that keeps circulating in their head that saddens them or causes their life to be troubled.
1: So is there any theme that you find around souls that do get stuck or what causes them to get stuck?
2: That's one of them, just simple looping. Mm -hmm. Uh, And then one of the ways out of that is to be kind of cajoled into taking a break. You know, Mm -hmm. okay, you're very used to doing that but could we just for a moment pause and and do this other thing for a little bit you can come back to that if you need to one thing that can be hard is people who die with young children left behind
4: Mm
3: -hmm.
2: I'm not a parent of children my name is father and I feel like I put the finishing touches on a lot of other people's kids as a campus minister I deal with 18 to you know 23 year olds a lot
1: I like that finishing touches
2: (laughs) sometimes after they have young dependent children. Their reason for being becomes getting these ch- children raised to adulthood,
3: mm-hmm.
2: and it kind of overrides a lot of other roles. And then, if that's uh, taken away from them really abruptly, they feel like so cheated. You know, I thought my reason for being was to get these kids raised, and now I'm gone. Sometimes they're angry at God, however they think of God, or source or you know, universe, or whatever, whoever is in charge of all this somehow or another, it involves calming down. I'm really big on personal freedom. The ability to to really choose freely involves a certain calm, mm-hmm. to be able to rationally look at options and not feel pushed in the direction of something because of strong emotions. And sometimes people just need to find a way to calm down uh, in the afterlife. And they have helpers to help them do that.
1: So they, when they come to you, you hear their story you hear a message that they need help yes and then you have these prayer circles yes and what happens in those prayer circles how do you release them from
2: well to begin with they're vetted and so there's we're never dealing with anybody who is unprepared They've all been vetted. They've been, they've been cared for by a team of caregivers. Even you mentioned earlier the life review. Mm -hmm. That might have been one component of what they needed to do.
1: Got Uh, it. Okay. uh,
2: But they're all, they're steered in the direction of freedom and truth. Uh, Sometimes we can exaggerate something. It's it's not that it isn't untrue. It's just that we exaggerate it so much that it begins to have a kind of falseness about it. So sometimes they just need to need help recognizing their new circumstance, and the new freedoms that are available to them. Maybe they want to look back and they want to be involved in the life of the family they've left on earth. They can learn a little bit about how to do that but it's important to be in the present moment, Mm -hmm. and not spend too much time looking over your shoulder. So there's some balancing. That's not that different from the life that we're living now. Anyway, they only come to us if they've been vetted that they're ready. They even call it getting in your line, like waiting a turn.
1: I think about that movie Soul. Did you see that movie? Everybody's recommending
2: that to me. I've got to see it. I just haven't done it yet. Maybe that'll be on my like summer list. It's
1: (laughs) It's so cute. But they're all like waiting in line, these little souls.
2: It's funny because when I was a little kid, are you familiar with the word purgatory or the idea (laughs) of it? Yeah, sure. Mostly Catholic thing. I don't know that many people outside of Catholic practice think of that, but I was a little Catholic kid and I was told that I had powerful prayers because God listens to the prayers of children with great energy. And uh, both of my aunts were Dominican nuns who taught first grade. And I was just surrounded by really good mentoring. And I was taught that we could pray for souls after they died and we could help them move from purgatory to heaven it seemed like you know moving across an international boundary and that if your prayer was the one that got somebody into heaven you'd have a friend for all eternity so i was very earnest about that i fell asleep every night praying for whoever was closest in line
1: so so is that what you where these souls would say they are is in purgatory
2: they don't really use that language okay Um, uh, and of course death is universal. I'm not dealing with just Catholics or Christians mm-hmm. or Americans. It's kind of, you know, all over the board, but it, but it isn't inappropriate. Purgatory, well understood. The word just means cleansing. Mm-hmm. And that's one of the ways that people can think of moving through life's messiness.
1: I think of like those car washes, like how you progress in the car washes, you yeah, know, that, like that you put your car in neutral.
2: I'm going to use that.
1: Yeah. <laughs> And it starts with like the powerful like spray and then And you if when you it. go in
2: and you pay for the high price one it has more stuff, you know, right. you, get the, you get the thing on your tires and you know wax and all that. Yeah. I'll use that.
1: So okay, so they're progressing, progressing. So there's no, there's not really this they're not necessarily stuck in in a hell place or a bad oh. place.
0: For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com.
2: Well, they can be in an unpleasant place. I mean, being stuck in a trauma loop is not pleasant. Mm-mm. But the ones that are with them are trying to do what they can, respecting their process, trying to encourage them to move past it. They can also move at different paces, the way that a physical therapist might have one client who wants to do extra knee bends to get out of here, and the other one that just finds it too painful that wants to stop after two or three. They probably, in the course of a day, have both.
1: How do you know if your loved one is stuck? Would you know, or are you just...
2: I try to make the point in both of the books, please don't presume if you had a loved one who died in a sudden trauma that they are stuck.
4: Okay.
1: Don't, make
2: your, don't make your grief worse by thinking, by imagining that your loved one is now worse than ever.
1: Because it sounds like stuck isn't necessarily bad.
2: No, that's why we got rid of it in the title of the second book. There's not very really many pleasant experiences being stuck, like stuck in traffic. Nobody really wants that. But it isn't horrible. But if you're listening
1: to a great podcast, then maybe it's not that bad.
2: Exactly. That's (laughs) why they should listen to you. Uh, No, it's um, sometimes it just means that you needed to be in a place longer. And I think of it sometimes like a Montessori school,
4: Mm -hmm. where not
2: every kid has to sit up straight and open their book at the same time. And you're not made to feel that you're in the dumb kid reading group, that everybody moves at the pace that's appropriate to them. And we just happen to be on the receiving end of a lot of other good therapeutic work. We have a task and it's really to get them moved from point A to point B.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: And we're pretty task oriented when we do this. It, you asked a little earlier what the process is. We get together and either on zoom or in person do the protective prayer. I read the story. We sit quietly and I, I record these on an app on my phone. So we have an audio recording recording that I then get transcribed into a Word document. Mm. And the books are largely that. I do a light edit of them just to get rid of all the incomplete sentences and ums and ahs. Um, I try to keep it in the voice of the person as they spoke.
3: Mm
4: -hmm.
2: They they do have to use my vocabulary. And one thing that happens often is when they're moving through me, they'll use some phrase or idiom of mine that they've never used before. And they'll even remark about it. Oh, Mm -hmm. I've never used that phrase before, but it works. I know what it is. Mm -hmm. So we're co-conscious. It only takes us a little bit for the prayer partner to break the ice a little bit, chat up the way that you and I did at the beginning of the show. Mm -hmm. And then we get get to work and say, how can we help you? I usually ask their guardian angel to help first. The idea of guardian angels isn't a uniquely Catholic or Christian thing. It belongs to Judaism. It belongs to Islam. Angels appear in, in the Asian religions as well. Or sometimes they're called spirit guides or beings of light or whatever, but I just use guardian angel. In our tradition, we believe that we came with one, that we arrived here on the earth with a guardian. They love us. They're here to serve us. You know, we we arrive mortal and that's a given. So you might think, you know, what? where were these guardians when they were in a car crash? You know, <laughs> were they just not very good guards? Well, we're all mortal, and we're going to die one day of something. And some people are going to die sudden deaths, and the guardians are really not in charge of that.
4: Mm-hmm. But
2: they they do the best they can to move us through every experience in our life that they're allowed to. Uh, so sometimes, for example, in the dream, I might have known that I was in a car crash, but I couldn't tell whether the gender of the driver was masculine or feminine.
4: Mm-hmm.
2: So I might ask about that. I might I might feel like I was in a country other than the U.S., which is a little uncommon. And so I might say, I felt like I was in South America. Is that right? The way that movies often orient us to time and space with fashions, music, or automobiles, the way that movies in the first couple of minutes kind of help us to acclimate to a time and place. Sometimes the dream does that really effectively, and other times it leaves me wondering something.
1: Well, I know in the first book, the person, the first person that you talk about, it was like in 1960 or something. When I was
2: four years old, yeah, yeah. But he oriented me to that story with... um, With fins on the back of the car.
1: Oh my gosh. Okay.
2: You know, Uh, and I could tell from the grill of the car that it was from the late 50s or early 60s. Mm. So, anyway, sometimes I'll ask the guardians, and they do something sort of like a mic test, the way that you do when you begin a podcast. Can you Mm -hmm. hear me?
4: Mm -hmm.
2: Uh, The person we're helping has probably never borrowed another human person's voice before. So, they're doing something new. So, the guardian will go first just to show them how easy it is. We're just, Testing the sound. Sometimes a dream will have a lot of people in it. These episodes don't always just involve one person. Sometimes souls will move in a group with a spokesperson, and so sometimes we ask for that clarity: Are we helping one or more than one? And oftentimes the angels will say, "I don't know. We'll just wait and see how it goes." You know, mm-hmm. Where at least you're at least helping the one that I guard,
4: mm-hmm.
1: and if
2: anybody else comes along with us, uh, we'll wait and see.
1: And how do you know once you've assisted the soul to move forward? And then do you know where it goes? Like you say, to the afterlife,
2: what? To a next level of it. I think okay. I think of it sort of like a radio band, mm-hmm. uh, you know, as you move the up and down the dial, it's all waves, but they're not the same wave. There, there's some differentiation distinction. You can only do so much on this level, but you've exhausted what it's capable of. But now you're really ready for the level above that. And we'd love to help you ascend. One thing that I've found sometimes is that when people have occurrences after the death of a loved one, apparitions of some kind or visitations, dreams, sometimes people interpret that as my loved one must be stuck because they keep showing up around the house.
3: Mm.
2: And I try to say, "Mm, that's one possibility, but another could just be that they just love you.
4: Mm -hmm. and they just
2: want to, they're doing, they're learning how to let you know that. Uh, That doesn't mean that they got stuck at a low level, because when you ascend, you can still come back to the level below you. Mm. It's just things expand and grow. It doesn't mean that you, because you left this place, you can never come back.
1: How does this work with your faith? In terms of, you know, I know that in Christianity, that And Catholicism, like connecting with the dead, is not something that is looked favorably upon?
2: It is and it isn't, because um, both Judaism and Christianity both have a liturgical year, a cycle Mm -hmm. of holidays. Mm -hmm. Uh, And our biggest one is Easter, when we believe that Jesus has risen from the dead. And we don't just believe that's a private happy event for him in history. We believe that what he's showing us is our nature. Is that we're all intended to survive our deaths, and that we are radio eternal we're we're living in a temporal part of eternity uh, that's really a universal message. It doesn't have to be wrapped in exclusively religious language. Um, lots of people believe in the afterlife without necessarily being theists. There' are people who believe that they'll survive their death that don't necessarily describe that in religious language.
3: hmm Mm -hmm. Uh,
2: In my faith, there are plenty of examples of people I was taught as a child to pray, to talk to the dead, (laughs) to to pray for the dead by Orthodox nuns and my parents and Catholic school and all of that. The other part of it, though, is about uh, sometimes it's called necromancy, talking to the dead in order to get information of some kind or have some sort of advantage over others or whatever. And I don't do that. I've been accused of it. But um, that's not what I'm doing. I'm, mm-hmm. And I, and one of the things that I don't do is seek out other people's loved ones.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: So, so, it's only when they
1: come to you. I,
2: I, I, that's one of the ways I stay in my lane. As a, I want to be a Catholic priest and not a former Catholic priest.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: <laughs> and uh, one of the things I do is respect the parameters uh, as best I can of my religious family. And I only um, deal with those persons who have died who seek me. I don't go looking for them. Mm. The exception is people, I don't tell any of these stories in public without having gone back and asked permission of the person whose story it is. Okay. Um, That just seemed respectful. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't seem like the right time when they're in the middle of making this important transition say oh wait 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 before you go I'm writing a book can, mm-hmm. can, can I use your? it's just not the right moment to ask that question right and so right. um but when we did start asking those questions I thought it would be very brief conversations because it's a yes or no question may we use your story mm-hmm. I found that sometimes there were little follow-up stories that the person chose to share with us do you, you do counseling do you not yeah therapy yeah yeah well, I'm
1: a psychologist
2: have you found that sometimes you develop a friendship with someone and then you have to navigate the ethics of that have you ever become friends with somebody that started first as a counselee
1: no because the the like boundaries around psychotherapy are so firm it's it's very I mean of course there's the like I think that often there's sort of the fantasy, perhaps on the part, both of myself and my patients, like what it would look like if we were not in this setting to be able to, you know, continue that the relationship in a different way, or what would that look like? Uh Um, But I've, I've yet to, it would only come on the heels of like terminating with someone for a long period of time. Sure. You might be able to,
2: yeah, you'd have to be very explicit about it.
1: Exactly. Exactly, well, and very as, careful about how it would impact, you know, the treatment or future treatment or whatever that would look like.
2: Sure, and it, and I'm a I've done pastoral counseling, but pastoring involves um, loving your people and them perhaps loving you back. Mm-hmm. But then, so the the boundaries that I've had to deal with professionally might be looser than yours, but they still are there.
1: Right. Right. Uh,
2: and um, uh, the reason I'm bring going into that is because. I deal with so many of these people who have died but some of them end up you just you just love each other
4: <laughs> mm. and
2: and you you are able to kind of stay in relation even though you've your service has been rendered they don't need me to do stuff any longer but we have become friends in the course of it
1: Do they, they ever range. bring you to their living loved ones to say let them know this or I need to tell that or it's they just They haven't
2: yet. I've I've wondered over the years if that's ever going to be a way that this moves in the future. And as I become better known, uh, because I've been trying to become better known by being on shows like yours, not for fame, because with it comes infamy. I mean, I have people that don't like what I'm doing at all. I have a vow of poverty, so it's not about money. It's really about a message that I think Mm -hmm. is joyful. I'm asked on a regular basis if I have proof, you know, like death certificates or the kind of data that you could find on the internet. And to this point, mostly no. Uh, and I'm content with that because I feel like I'm providing a service. And if it, I'm a follower of Christ, of God, and I don't just shoot out on my own doing what I feel like doing. I believe I'm following a lead. And so far, I haven't been led to that kind of, uh, you know, contacting families and such. But that doesn't mean it couldn't happen if I felt like that was a way this grew. hmm
1: And this really feels for you like an extension of sort of your calling.
2: It does. Earlier today, I got up and and drove to a parish across Tucson and said mass this morning. You're familiar with Mm ruah, The the word ruah in in Hebrew, that means breath, breath of God, Mm -mm. Uh, where we believe the spirit is God's breath and that we can all breathe it in. So I'm doing some teaching about that. I teach uh, biblical courses online and do a lot of other things that are not related to this explicitly, uh, but, but this is important. Mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, and I think it gives people hope that there is, you know, that there is this afterlife that we do go somewhere else that when we die, the physical body perhaps dies, but the rest of us does not.
2: And then some of it comes from uh, quantum physics. Have you done any delving or reading mm-hmm. in that area? Are yeah. you familiar with quantum theology? mm there are beginning to be theologians from different religious traditions who are looking to the science, what science is telling us of quantum reality, and then doing r- religious and spiritual musing about it, hmm. taking their religious tradition and saying, what would these ideas look like alongside the truths of quantum physics. Wow. Um, So, and that's happening in an interdisciplinary, in a a religious way. You know, people are taking all the different world religions and looking at them through the prism of quantum physics. Mm -hmm. I'm interested in that. For example, at the University of Arizona, there's a Center of Consciousness Studies, there's a Center of Mediumship.
1: Is that Gary Um, Schwartz? Yeah, Gary Schwartz
2: is the one mostly doing mediumship, but then there's the Winbridge Institute. Mm -hmm. Uh, And then there are others around the country. I was at Stanford for seven years, there's a center there, there's uh, North Carolina. Is, yeah, uh, Is it a big center for-
1: Yeah, the perceptual studies. studies there.
2: And so I've wondered if I could be a part of that conversation at some point. And, and if I did, it might push me more in the direction of that kind of um, proving. If that's where I felt led to go, then I might try harder asking some of these people, at least in the follow-up interview, do you think you ought to let us know anything about your last- Home address, Mm -hmm. (laughs) (laughs) Mm -hmm. date of birth, date of death.
1: Father, can we switch gears here and do some quick speed round questions?
2: Uh, Of course, yeah.
1: Just some fun questions for my listeners to maybe know a different side of you. Okay, sure. Spirituality means?
2: I'm big on etymology. Spirit means breath, respiration, inspiration are the the same word. So uh, spirituality for me has to do with breathing.
1: What is something most people don't
2: know about you? I play golf. I'm a big sports fan. I'm, I'm a Houston Astros fan. I follow all kinds of sports. This time of the year, you've got hockey and basketball playoff, Yeah, You've
1: got it all except college football.
2: sports and stuff, everything except football. Uh, but anyway, I'm, I'm a big sports fan and, and it came from a family that, for whom that was really important.
1: What's one thing you're grateful for right now?
2: I think good health.
1: Hmm.
2: I, mean, I just had my annual physical. Amen. And, When I go to the, the, you know, to a new doctor where you have to fill out reams of paper about all these little boxes of all the different maladies that could be wrong with you, there's almost nothing. And Mm -hmm. I got to 66 like that. So Mm -hmm. I'm grateful for that.
1: What's the secret?
2: (laughs) Breathe in, breathe out, repeat.
1: What book is on your nightstand?
2: It's a Netflix movie that was just up for Academy Award, but it was Dog in the name of it. Um,
1: Oh, Yeah. I know what you're talking about. I
2: could go get it. It's a Western set in 19, like 1920s Montana. I know uh, what you're
1: talking about. I
2: saw the movie and my sister is a big reader. I, I don't read a lot of novels unless my sister gives them to me. I never go home from her house without novels. I said, I've seen the movie. And she said, yeah, but the writing is so lovely. You, you oh. really need to read the writing. So that's what I'm reading right now.
1: Nice. What is your favorite spiritual or healing practice?
2: One that helps me a lot is uh, contemplative sit. It's simple. I was taught to allow only one thing to be in my awareness, and it's a river flowing
4: mm.
2: across across the screen of my imagination. For me, it goes from left to right. And you're trying to think of nothing, and of course, as soon as you do that, right, you, <laughs> you think <laughs> everything of a, comes in. Oh, you think of a snack. Well, I have an appetite, but I'm not my appetite. And you let the snack fall in the river and float away. Mm. Or oh, you start thinking about. I wonder how long it's been that I've been meditating. I'm in time, but I'm not of time, and I let that float away mm. or I start thinking about plans what am I going to do when I finish meditating I got to do that email I got to do it. I think oh I have plans but I'm not my plans it's just a negation I've taken to using the clock on my iPhone
4: mm-hmm. I,
2: I set the timer for seven minutes just so I'm not tempted to think how long have I been meditating and how much longer before it's over <laughs> I let this iPhone take care of that
1: last question What was the most transformative experience of your life?
2: Going on a retreat when I was 18, I didn't even want to go on it. I was in a Catholic high school and it was a Catholic thing. And we got there and I couldn't leave. They said, the theme for the weekend is, what do you think about your parents? Mm. (laughs) I was was 18 years old. (laughs) I, I had a very loaded relationship with my dad. When people created the opportunity and swore to listen, I took my turn when it was my turn, and I told my story, and I pretty much went to confession in front of a group, and then they brought in a priest and said, anybody want to go to confession? And I said, well, I could, because I've already kind of done it. after the mm-hmm. So I did the formal religious thing, and then when I went to communion at the mass uh, that concluded it, we believe that we're receiving the fullness of God in the form of food and drink, if you can imagine that all that God is coming and being inside your body. Uh, Well, I'd believe that since first grade, but that day when I just did nothing but the form of, you know, taking a communion wafer and swallowing it, I had this whole, it's sometimes called a spiritually transformative experience Mm in STE. Mm -hmm. You familiar with that? Yep. My whole, every cell in my body vibrated. And I felt like, I felt like out of body but in the body and surrounded by love and i started crying which i never did it changed everything in it and i've never ever ever thought of god as being distant from me ever since even though i know god is everywhere and there are some faraway places but i don't need to start a prayer by talking to you know a distant point i can go inside and say hello in there and that that was the most important thing that ever happened
1: to me wow Well, Father Nathan, thank you so much today for sharing all of these little, I mean, just profound experiences that you're having that give so many people, I know, hope that life is eternal, that it does go on, that we are just a physical body, and when we die, we don't die. So thank you. If people want to learn about your work, can you tell us where where they can do that?
2: Yeah, the best thing is my website. It's just my name. It's Nathan-Dash. Castle, N A T H A N C A S T L E.com. So, Nathan Castle.com. As I said earlier, I don't contact other people's loved ones. So, don't come to me for that.
1: So, don't contact you to contact them.
2: Yeah. Yeah. If you want to know more about this topic, please read at least one of my books first. They're available on Amazon, they're inexpensive in book form, in e reader form, and audiobook form. Uh, so, do that first. I like, I'm mostly on email. So if you go on the website in the upper left, there's one of those little envelope icons that creates Mm -hmm. a new email. That's best way to contact me. Please don't use Facebook messenger. I don't like it. (laughs) Uh,
1: Well, thank you father for your time today and for sharing all of this. Well, thanks for doing
2: what you're doing. I, I, you you're, you're bringing my message to the world and, and all the other guests that you have on, uh, You know, you could be doing a lot of other things, but you're doing this. So thanks for doing that.
1: Absolutely. Yeah, I think we're on a similar journey. We've both, it sounds like been, you said 25 years. I've been doing, dabbling in this for about 20 years and only in the past five years have really put it out there. So I I feel you where that's concerned. So
2: Maybe we meet in person one day. I'd enjoy that.
1: I would love that. Next time I'm out in Arizona, which will hopefully (laughs) be next winter at some point.
2: All right. Yeah, look me up.
1: Thank you so much for your time today. Like what you heard today and want to hear more? Wondering what comes next and what it all means? Head over to Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Play, or anywhere you get your podcasts and hit subscribe. Also, if you could take a minute to rate and review my podcast, I would really appreciate it. Stay tuned as we continue to explore life, death, and the space between.